All right. Hey, beautiful people. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Ford. And today, I'm really excited. We've got some great content. Um, you know, normally we are known, uh, you know, when you think about Beverly Hills Plastic Surgeons, everyone automatically assumes that you are a strictly uh, trained cosmetic surgeon. And the good part today is we are going to show you the depth and breadth of a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And we've got some great patient examples for you and just to try to give you an idea of why you should trust a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon to do your cosmetic work because we do know the anatomy so well and really how to reconstruct just about anything. It's really interesting. People really don't know the breadth of, of how much training we do and what the training really entails. Uh, there is a lot more to what we know and what we do than just a simple breast augmentation. And that's what we're going to go over today. And, and the interesting part is, you know, when you, when you hear plastic surgery, um, again, we're plastic and reconstructive surgeons. And that word plastic, everyone kind of takes it and thinks that it's to make someone look plastic. But it really comes <laughs> from, a, from a Greek word called plastikos, um, which is to mold. And we, you know, years and years ago in, in times we're molders. of- we're molders. In, in times of war, they took plastic surgeons to really kind of do everything. Um, they were the guys that, that fixed everything. So that's why um, what we're going to go over today is everything that was kind of thrown at us in residency and in training and how much we kind of took away and all of the different things that we do and can do and we still sometimes do. And I do want to uh, take a second to shout out to all you listeners who have benefited from this. We see so many new patients in the office that say, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast. Uh, you know, I was surprised. You guys were actually good. <laughs> and so it is, uh, it is fun. Listen, keep the emails coming. Let us know what you're interested in, and we will deliver. So I thought the best way to do this, um, you know, would basically be to go from head to toe. And that's the great part about plastic surgery. You know, initially, I think we were going to, you know, you know, many surgeons were going to be something else. And then as they find their niche and they, they find their passion, and then they slowly go into that surgical subspecialty, um, you know, and, and you know my story. I was going to be a trauma surgeon and, and ultimately- Thank God um, you're not. Yeah, I think I dodged a bullet there, uh, you know, literally and figuratively. And, um, and so I think that uh, it, it, it's so important to know that we are capable of and have likely seen reconstruction of every single body part. You can think of external and internal. I mean, we've done uh, even esophageal reconstruction. We've done throat reconstruction. We've done, you know, bowel, all these different things in babies who lose, you know, from necrotizing uh, enterocolitis where the bowel dies and, and, and we've closed bellies and done all these things. So I figured, you know, what a better way than to start from top to bottom. And this is, again, this is going to be one of many talks on this subject because it's impossible to go over all of this in the next 45 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. So anything we don't touch on, we will come back and talk about it again. Uh, and if there's stuff that you're really interested in, you can tell us because, again, reconstruction is everything. Like, like John just said, it's everything from head to toe, from acquired, from cancer to trauma. So and there's congenital. a lot of different things. Yeah. So the acquired from congenital, these are things that, that you either are born with, you get later in life, or unfortunately something happens where you need to have it fixed. So mm -hmm. let's let's get this going. And again, I, I want to thank everyone for listening as well. Um, you have questions, you can drop it for us and we'll be happy to answer them. 
Awesome. So, it, you know, it truly to go from top to bottom, I guess you would start with the scalp. And it, I'm really just going to touch on one single thing that honestly is one of the coolest procedures that you could ever do. It's unfortunate for whoever it happens to. Usually it was very common in farm in uh, accidents where, you know, the scalp somehow was uh, involved in a turbine machine that essentially either took a limb or they would get, you know, the top of the, the scalp caught. Yes, we have and, seen these. And the scalp comes off literally as a single unit. Uh, but the cool part is that you can, re- you can reconstruct it based off of one little artery and vein. And so, um, you know, in these tragic accidents where this happens, Imagine, you know, like the old Indian scalped someone, the entire scalp was gone. You could literally put it back on as one single unit. So I'm just going to, that's that's kind of a, a cool little uh, fact. And um, it's cool. And, and we'll just kind of take it back to, to textbook, at least what we read. Um, to reconstruct that, if they came to you, there are multiple options. And you always look at it as a, there's, the, there's a ladder. There's a reconstruction ladder mm-hmm. that you look at. Um, and you try to do things as simple as possible every time. But sometimes you need to go and do what, Dr. Lakey just said, which is literally do what's called a free flop. Take a piece of tissue and put it to somewhere else and hook it up back to its blood vessels to get blood supply. And we'll talk about that. So when it comes to the reconstruction ladder, how do we approach that? And 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 what is uh, what is the way you look at most of these reconstructive procedures? Yeah, I mean, listen, we'll preface that by all saying that you start with what's uh, a, a, the minimal amount of work that needs to be done in order to accomplish something. So obviously you want to close something primarily, then you want to rearrange uh, nearby tissue, then you may skin graft something where you take actually a piece of skin from somewhere else and, and apply it to a different area. And then you work your way up that ladder where it's now you are uh, looking at rotating a muscle or uh, tissue into that particular wound. Then you are uh, transferring one piece from somewhere else on the body uh, to the the location of injury. Probably some of the coolest surgeries we've ever done. We're Mm going to go over all of that. So let's start from, what is it, facial trauma? Facial trauma. So, you know, know, what I will say, um, facial trauma is one of those things that in residency, it was always so cool because uh, you really have to know the anatomy of the face, um, what nerves are involved, how to diagnose someone uh, before you even get a CAT scan. And so sometimes, um, you know, it's it's a a very cool part of learning reconstructive surgery. Um, I can give you one example. I remember early on in in, uh, practice, uh, Kristen Dow, from the show Vanderpump Rules, you know, she fell, hit her uh, her cheekbone on the bumper of an Uber and just crushed that side of her face. Literally so, crushed. We're talking yeah. about gravel. There were pieces of bone that were just in pieces. Yes. So she had what's called a zygomatico-maxillary orbital complex fracture and just a long, you know, fancy word to say that uh, it punched in uh, the whole cheekbone and sometimes included the floor of the eyeball. Um, and so the idea is they have to pull that back out through multiple located, you know, strategically located incisions, both hidden and inside the mouth and uh, things like that. Um, there, and obviously, you know, I remember that show was on the doctors and, and they showed her recovery at uh, two weeks after, obviously still a little swollen at that point, but now, uh, you know, she looks, uh, it's like putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. You you, you start looking normal and um, after the swelling goes down. I like to, to think of it as, as 
is we really like to put puzzles together. It's because you get into a, a procedure like this and the bones are broken and they're little pieces. Now imagine you have to put this puzzle back together. Now you do have a guideline, which is a CAT scan. And we're lucky enough nowadays that the CAT scan has what's called 3D reconstructions. These things weren't around years and years ago. These 3D reconstructions are beautiful because you can actually see exactly what's missing. So you think when you open everything up, it's just going to be right there and you're going to put it right back. So what you do is you put a plate, you put it back together. But in many cases, basically the bone is in so many pieces that you're recreating everything. So Mm -hmm. you're putting, you're actually taking some of these bones off, putting them on the back table, putting them together with plates and then putting them back where you need to, Mm -hmm. to recreate again, the, the, the normal structure and form of whether it's the face or anywhere else. But these, these procedures are very complicated. They could take many hours and they're not done in our surgery center. They're actually done in a hospital mm-hmm. um, with multiple night stays and, and things like that. And this is something that was a bread and butter for us for years and years and years because facial trauma goes straight to plastic surgery or our friends at uh, oral maxillofacial surgeons, they would actually give us a hand sometimes. So the, the, example you gave with with Kristen was a very difficult case mm-hmm. because when you open something up and there's multiple pieces and another great analogy it's like an eggshell you crack an egg and you say okay put the egg back together it's not very easy to do <laughs> so a lot of it has to do with with a lot of 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 training and luckily we trained at a county hospital and we got chance to see a lot of these mm-hmm. you know and I can think of another one that we were both involved in and this was a young girl that was out hiking and she fell down uh, Out of a tree, uh, you know, she's crying with tree, right? Uh, you know, I think what happened is she rolled down the hill and hit a log that was on the ground. So she completely smashed her mandible, so the jaw bone. And you know, everybody hears about getting your jaw wired shut and things like that. This is one where both of us were involved in. Uh, we, and had we had oral maxillofacial yeah. surgeon, Dr. Anichi, and uh, this was one where she was actually missing some tissue, so we had to rotate some of what we call the platysma muscle in the neck to kind of block the open hole. And so, you know, to this day, um, you know, I, I remember how we plated that mandible and put all the bones back into position and thank God it didn't affect her teeth. Um, you know, did have to have her jaw wired shut, but now, you know, looks normal. She still so, comes in and gets injections from mm-hmm. Dr. Lakey. Yes. Which is interesting because that's how, because that's how a lot of people start their practices. They open up and, and cosmetic surgeries. And the first thing we do, we, we'd go to our bread and butter and we, we go into take call at the ER. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the first patients we ever saw were the ones that came through facial fractures or other types of reconstructive surgery that we did in the hospital. Um, and, you know, one of the most common uh, fractures is the orbital blowout or the orbital floor fracture. Yep, getting punched, cold cocked right in the eye. And some people would say, okay, why do you need to fix it? And a lot of tough guys don't, don't fix it. And then what it does is you have long-term cosmetic effects, but you can also have effects of having entrapment of your muscles, things that we don't realize, but there are small little muscles that make our eyeballs move um, that are right around the orbital rim. And which is the rim of your bone. So our our eyeball or eye socket is surrounded by bone. And inside of those areas, there are some muscles that come out. So sometimes the bone can break and it can entrap one of those muscles and you can have a hard time looking up. And that bone is thin. It's literally, that's where you look at an eggshell. 
mean, it's true. So that's why orbital blowout fractures, especially in boxers and things like that, is so common uh, because you take one direct uh, force to the eyeball, there's nowhere else for it to go but down. And so, uh, you know, it's it's recreating the floor of the orbit. I remember taking care of a kid that had a baseball hit him right in the face mm-hmm. and blew it out right mm-hmm. there. And, and he actually was entrapped. So it was really interesting when you saw him, if if you know how to examine someone for or for an injury like this, you could tell he couldn't look up. And he he tell you tell him to look up, and one eyeball would go up, and the other one wouldn't. Yeah, so yeah, you emergently yeah. took him to the operating room, and you fixed it. You basically released the muscle, and then you put a, a plate, um, med pour or plate, and, and recreate that floor. So over time, they don't have other problems. And most the biggest problem is basically your eyeball looks like it's more it's basically more set back than the other side. And cosmetically, it doesn't look very good. You were talking about how, you know, these tough guys who get hit and they decide not to do anything. And slowly over time, you'll notice they develop what's called enophthalmos, which essentially the eyeball slowly gets sunken in and looks a little lower. In fact, I had uh, a a patient, I don't know if you remember him, he was riding uh, his bike and would try to avoid a moving car and then went face first into a parked car and didn't do anything Ouch. for a long time. It, you know, <laughs> underwent the entire side of his face was lower on one side than it was on the other side. Now, the only way to reconstruct that is to go back in and essentially recreate the fractures and add bone where you lack it. So we got to get it from somewhere. So whether you take that from iliac crest, where you do, you know, take it from the, the calvarium, which is the skull on top. Um, there are all kinds of things that you can do to try to you know, bridge that gap. The other patient that I can think of during residency was, um, and I remember with Dr. Lauren Schechter, this was a grandfather who got involved in a, a marital dispute, uh, took the child, you know, drove cross country, and then knew he was going to get in trouble and ended up shooting himself. But when he, he used a, a, a long rifle and when he went to pull the trigger, it, it pulled forward. So essentially it just split the face down the middle. Now this is where you, uh, you know, this is where you are missing some of the pieces of bone. So Again, Again, we hope you're not having breakfast, lunch, yeah, or yeah, dinner yeah, yeah. while you're while you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it may get a little graphic. I suppose I should have said right <laughs> off the bat. Listen, if you have a queasy stomach, do not listen to the next part. Oh. Um, but it's just you know, just so you understand. So when we talk about being able to perform a facelift or rhinoplasty or doing these things, you have to imagine we are reconstructing these things from nothing, and so it's just another way, you know. And lastly, if we talk about face. This is where you have skin cancers or, you know, we had one particular patient, which I, you know, we talked about in a previous uh, podcast where he was in an altercation and the guy bit his nose off. Now, this isn't something you just stick back on because it lacks blood supply. I wish you'd do a whole podcast on this because Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, the guy sitting next to me reconstructed his face. I I held his hand, but (laughs) it was done so brilliantly and so beautifully. And I'm going to have you take it from there. But it is as it's a very handsome man, model, had the tip of his nose bit off. And I'm telling you, if you put a picture right now next to what he had before and after, you probably couldn't tell anything was happening, anything was done or anything happened to him. Yeah, he went through five or six surgeries and-, and uh, He was dating while he had, a, had, a, had his nose bit <laughs> yeah, off. Okay, very, that's how big of a stud this guy is. Um, you know, it, the interesting part is that we had to recreate the tip of his nose using skin from his forehead. You know, we rotate that. It look, you look like the elephant man for about three weeks and then, you know, you essentially rotate that back. But 
you know, it's interesting. Once you can create a body part out of something else, it's much easier to be able to do change something cosmetically. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. I'm going to rewind real quick Mm -hmm. because we didn't talk about one thing about facial fractures. Um, Most common facial fracture is when you break your nose Mm -hmm. and it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. In fact, John actually took care of a a young boy, 18, 19 year old kid yesterday um, in our operating room here and put his nose, uh, kind of put the broken nose back into place. Now, interestingly, because this is one of the questions we get all the time. When do you have to fix your nose if it's broken? Mm-hmm. Um, does it have to always be fixed? Uh, is a broken nose, is it, does it, do you need a form of rhinoplasty? How does that work? I'm going to throw this at you because you're the nose king. Um, do you have to fix a broken nose? Well, I mean, definitely not. I think um, you, the issue is if there's a breathing component, then I would say, obviously, you'd want that to get fixed. And if there's a severe uh, cosmetic defect, uh, you know, obviously you want to re- restore your nose to normal. What I would say is this, you, you got two windows. You either repair the nose immediately, so you kind of just knock the bones back, you know, click them back into place, or you wait four or five days until the swelling goes down, and then that's when you click those bones back into place. Now, most uh, of the time, the tough guys, again, I'm going back to the mm-hmm. tough guys, they wait yep. and they let it go. And what happens if you wait too long, you can't get it fixed three weeks later, mm-hmm. if you go two, three years later, well, you have to re-break the nose, just like you have to re-break any of the other bones of the face, because then you have to put them back to where they are. Yeah. So one of those things is if you do get hit in the face by a ball, by a fist, or any type of trauma, normally what happens is whatever side you get hit on goes in and the other side goes out. There's two, two paired nasal bones at the top of your nose, mm-hmm. and those just basically need to be clicked back into place. Yep. However, sometimes... They're broken so bad, they need stabilization and they need other things. Sure. Um, but one of those, it's one of those things that, honestly, most of the time when there is a broken nose, a trained professional plastic surgeon that does this or, or a facial practice plastic surgeon can take a look at you and just by examination can tell if you need to get it fixed right away or not. Mm-hmm. So when in doubt, always look into it because fixing it after is always a, a lot more to do than right away. Definitely. Easy algorithm. You know, try to stabilize the bones and get them back, uh, you know, to your pre-injury state as best you can. And if something needs to be done in the future, you wait at least three months. And then you can do a formal rhinoplasty. Absolutely. The next thing that we talk about, you know, is we're sticking to, you know, kind of craniofacial. This is a subset of plastic surgeons that are specifically trained for, you know, babies and children that have uh, cranial defects. And so they will actually perform procedures where you will advance the entire mid portion of the face, or you'll advance a portion of the scalp, or you'll reduce the width of the head, um, you know, and the extremely specialized and, and trained surgeons. And, and we so- may be able to bring one of those 
big studs in one of the podcasts and really go over what's called craniosynostosis mm-hmm. or facial advancements and do talk about Lefort fractures and, and really get into this because it, it requires at least an hour. But it is a good thing to kind of discuss because, yes, sometimes children need to have surgery as well um, due to developmental um, anomalies or abnormalities. And those are really done by by highly trained specific subset or craniofacial surgery. Sure. And those guys are also involved in like uh, separating Siamese twins, you know, things like that. It's very interesting and, co- and complex surgery. Um, and that's why they're specially trained plastic surgeons. Uh, the other thing, really cool thing that we've seen multiple times is creating an ear out of nothing, you know, uh-huh. really not nothing, but it's skin and rib cartilage. And um, now we use something called a MedPore implant. There's all kinds of things that can be done, but it is so cool to see the stepwise uh, sequential processes that are required to recreate an ear. You know, you take it, you take it for granted. Um, when, when we're all born, we're all born with everything, our appendages and all our organs and everything is perfect. But if, but if you're not, and your, your ear is not developed, which is called microtia, um, you know, there is an outer ear component and an inner ear component. And we're really talking about the aesthetics from the outside. Um, it makes a big difference. And people don't realize how how much it matters just the way you wear glasses. Simple thing of just wearing glasses. If you, you have an ear that hasn't been formed, you can't wear glasses. Um, and these are the things that you realize when you're reconstructing these things. Yes, does it matter how it looks? Sure, it does. Absolutely. Function. But functionally, mm-hmm. we want to restore form and function. And that's the importance of what we do with, with any of these reconstructive procedures. I, I'll tell you um, one, of the, one of the best stories, and I, I didn't interview at this place, but one of the, one of the programs in, in, in plastic surgery with, uh, I believe, I want to say it was in Georgia. You mm-hmm. went to Medical College, Georgia. Yes. Um, and you could tell the story because I wasn't there. You know, it was interesting because they gave a quiz to all of the applicants. And I'll never forget the first question was, draw an anterior view of a left ear. And you know, the interesting part- And We were all looking around at each other like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, but if you just think about it, so in the series of questions, the, the program director was just brilliant. And um, the series of questions kind of showed your ability, your spatial ability to see and create- and uh, that's really a lot of what plastic surgery is. You have to have the vision. You have to have, uh, you know, an artistic quality. Um, and then you obviously have to have the knowledge behind it to know what you can do to replace parts that are missing. So yeah, it's, it's such a cool thing. There was, a, there was another program. Definitely daunting when I, I got I want to say maybe it was Alabama or one of these places that a couple of my friends interviewed out. And they said they got there and they gave him a bar of soap. And they said, carve out an ear. <laughs> mm. And some of the guys are sitting there because, again, listen – Plastic surgeons are known to be artists, but some people are, are better artists than others. Some people can really sculpt better than others. If you see Dr. Lakey do some art or draw, it's far superior than anything I can do. <laughs> I mean, I, it, is, it, is, it is horrible when I draw. But, but it's, it's really incredible because that's really what it is. You're really carving out. Now, if they gave me that soap, they made me carve out an ear. We'd be in trouble. Um, but but it's, it's that kind of stuff that we do. And when you recreate, when you take... Um, a piece of rib from from a child or from an adolescent, and you literally put that piece of ear, create an ear, create 
ear from that cartilage and then bank it under the skin. And then, you know, it is a couple of surgeries, but make it look and feel like an actual ear. It's one of the most fascinating things you've ever seen. And rewarding. I mean, wow. It really is. So maybe we move on to the next session. So let's move down. And, and obviously we kind of touched on a few of the things like, you know, neck dissections and tracheal reconstruction and esophageal reconstruction, but that's, you know, we could go on forever. Um, and so, uh, you know, moving our way down, maybe we start talking about uh, breast cancer reconstruction. Amazing. Um, and breast cancer is um, more common than we'd like it to be. And, uh, we, as as time has gone on, we have really developed ways to treat it um, that the survival rate keeps going up higher and higher and higher. And as plastic surgeons, we are at a, at a point where it is as important to make a woman feel really good about themselves after the procedure as it is to cure them of the cancer. So once they're done and they're cured of the cancer, let's say they need to come in and have a double mastectomy, they have their breasts taken out. And in a lot of ways, and for a lot of women, they feel their femininity is taken away from them. And there are many, many options as to how to reconstruct, you know, any type of breast uh, that has been taken out. Now, uh, normally, if you're just taking a small piece of your breast out, no big deal. But we're talking about people that are having bilateral mastectomies or unilateral mastectomies where the whole breast is taken out. So, you know, there are multiple options and it depends on what type of cancer and what type of treatment. Um, however, some of them are very fascinating. And I think in the back of everyone's mind, everyone just thinks, hey, it's pretty simple. What do you mean? Just put an implant in. So what? No, but it's not that simple because there are multiple factors here. Number one, the skin quality and the skin that you're left with sometimes isn't enough to just stick an implant in. Mm -hmm. The implant or the size that's going to look good enough on a person needs to have some skin stretch. So how do you do that? How are we going to how are we going to ever stretch the skin again to make it look like a regular breast and it's not going to look like a stuck-on implant? Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's no soft tissue. So all the breast tissue's been taken away and there's nothing else. So it's just going to look again like a stuck-on implant. And then at the same time, third thing is we've realized that a lot of these breast cancer treatments require localized radiation. And over time, we've realized, well, putting an implant in and radiating over the top doesn't help either because you get scar tissue around Yeah, it. not necessarily the best idea. So there's a lot of issues that, that come about when it comes to breast cancer reconstruction. But the beauty of it is science has developed and we have really kind of progressed over the years and have made it better and better and better to the point where nowadays you can literally take somebody who had a bilateral mastectomy with radiation and do, and I'll, we'll go over the different types of procedures and literally make them look like nothing ever happened. Um, so, you know, the, the options are there and we'll kind of go down all of the different options of what can be done to reconstruct a breast after breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, as technology and procedural, uh, you know, advancements occur, each time we realize, all right, something that we used to do becomes antiquated. And so it's kind of full cycle. We started off with implant-based reconstruction, then we went to autologous using your own tissue, 
because of the radiation factor, now we kind of move back into, you know, we're doing more studies that certain types of radiation with uh, a protective covering over the implant sometimes can help. And, you know, uh, so this is something, this again is a kind of a niche that uh, some plastic surgeons are really involved in. They do a lot of breast cancer reconstruction and they have the ability to switch back and forth between implant-based reconstruction, single stage and using your own tissue. And so, um, you know, you also have to be paired with a good breast surgeon, the one who's actually removing the breast tissue. You know, we used to run into those problems even in residency where you'd have a, a breast surgeon that would take every last bit of breast tissue, but also would take the blood supply too. So the skin flaps would die and you have exposed implants. So and we you realized, do anything. You're like, oh, we got to yeah, let this heal now. Of course. So you really have to find that pair that works so well together. And so, and, and I think what, what you said was was really good. Single stage versus multiple procedures and what needs to be done. And and, and we'll kind of make this simple and not talk about this because, again, we can do a whole mm-hmm. podcast and we will about breast cancer reconstruction. But really, there's there are three to four options. One of them is if there's enough skin when you do the mastectomy, you can rearrange it, do a lift and put an implant in and you're done. And that's called single stage reconstruction. It used to be where you only went under the muscle and now there's new data saying you can go above the muscle as well. Easy way to do it. However, it's only a subset of the people that this applies to because they need to have significant amount of skin. So if you have really large pendulous breasts and you need to have a mastectomy, great person. You're a great candidate to have all types of reconstruction because you have a lot of extra skin. Second stage, the the second option is if you don't have a lot of skin, you put an expander in. And an expander is just basically, imagine an implant that you can blow up. So I put an implant in, and but, it, but it's able to expand. It's got a little port on it that I can find with a little magnet. And I put a little bit of fluid, normally about 60 cc's or so, every couple of weeks after we put it in to expand your skin. And that's how we expand it. We could use this all over the body. We can put it in the scalp. We can put it in the breast. We can put it in the arm. We can put it anywhere to really ex- expand skin. And then once the skin is expanded, come back, put an implant in. That'll be the second stage. And then for most of these types of breast cancers that require the nipple and areola complex to be taken off, then you come back and you do what's called a nipple areola reconstruction so that we we actually make a nipple and areola. Some of the coolest designs that actually, you know, with plastic surgeons that were far more brilliant than we are, uh, at least I am, and uh, they came up with these designs that can literally create an areola and, and nipple that could look uh, identical to the way it would uh, previously. Now, obviously, you know, it's not surgery. sensate, but it's there to, to make it look good. Because, listen, if you had a breast and it didn't have a nipple or a complex on it, it looks a little strange for people. And they, mm. and again, a lot of this is psychologically to make you feel back to where you were before and not feel like your femininity was taken out. And, and one of the best ways to do this is using either a local flap, like you talked about before. So bringing either latissimus, which is a muscle that's on your, in your back, swinging it around and having that cover the implant. Um, and or, which is my favorite, is doing what's called either a tram or a deep flap or SIE. Mm-hmm. So basically taking a doing a tummy tuck on a, on a person, taking the abdominal fat and skin, moving it up to the breast and recreating a breast with it. Now, you can either do it where it's pedicled, meaning it's attached to its blood supply and it's tunneled up, 
or you disconnect the blood supply and then you reconnect it as what's called a free flap mm-hmm. under the microscope. Again, there's we could talk about this for hours, but it's a it is one of the coolest procedures we did. I want to say hundreds and hundreds of them when we were in training. We even did some when we started um, practice here. And I believe that it's one of the most fascinating two-for-one specials you can get because mm-hmm. not only are you getting a flat tummy, but you're recreating your breasts and you never have to worry about breast implants. And sometimes what happens is when you do this, they don't look maybe as symmetric or they may need a little touch-up or even with breast implants. And what you do is you come back when you do the nipple, take a little bit of fat from somewhere and you do some fat transfer to the area to really kind of make it blend and make it look really smooth. Mm -hmm. So those are really the options of breast cancer reconstruction. Um, We'll schedule a a proper podcast on this, Um, maybe even bring a breast surgeon in so we can throw some ideas around together. But breast cancer reconstruction is is a very um, safe and effective way to restore form and somewhat some function of the breast. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. One of the other specialties that's within plastic surgery is hand surgery. Now, believe it or not, everybody thinks that uh, orthopedic surgeons are responsible. And although they do hand surgery, they're really... Um, you know, wrist and more proximal, like, you know, up to the shoulder. But if you think about, um, you know, the delicate intricacies of the hand, plastic surgeons are involved in that. And that's anywhere from tendon repairs and bones and, you know, uh, tumors and, and, and all things like this. And so, you know, some of the specific examples for us, and, and I think we talked about it in a previous podcast, we, I definitely remember one of the first cases that we did in residency was someone who was held up by gunpoint at the uh, at the metro, was shot through the hand, and then was shot in the leg, and the his iPhone in his pocket stopped the bullet from entering the leg, but he had a hole that clearly blew out one of the bones in his hand. And I'll never forget, we looked at the x-ray, looked at each other and said, oh boy, here we go. And we, uh, we, as Rob Peter to pay Paul, we essentially took bone from his hip, the iliac crest, recreated that bone, put that external fixator, which is a little machine uh, that kind of holds the bones into position, and then uh, ultimately recreated uh, the bone in his hand. And after that surgery and obviously physical therapy and things like that, the guy had full range of motion of his hands. So really just fascinating. It was so cool. Which really was, again, form and function. The guy was totally back. Mm. Um, and the beauty of it was if you looked at the x-ray after, his finger was restored. He had a hole in one of his, in one of his metacarpals and then it's, it, it, that bone was restored with another piece of bone. And, and that's the fascinating part about it. It's, it's, you really can... And you have to get creative as plastic surgeons. It's you, there's a couple of ways to have done it, but that was, in our opinion, the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and it really came out perfectly. And I, and I think that an interesting part about it is the reason plastic surgeons became hand surgeons, there was a shortage of, of people dealing with trauma during the war. And th- you know this started in the First World War. And they brought, they brought uh, plastic surgeons to help out 
and and they they figured that since plastic surgeons know how to work under a microscope and work with such delicate and precise areas of the body, um, putting nerves together and putting small arteries together, well, what better than doing them in the hand? Um, Because again, small little injuries to the hand that you don't realize can cut a nerve and then you have no sensation, for example, to your thumb. Imagine if you didn't, couldn't feel your thumb or imagine if you couldn't feel your index finger. A lot of things that you go pinch, you can't, you can't feel what you're pinching. Yep. So little things like this that we all take super granted, we take it all for granted. I mean, we, we, you wake up and you do all these things, but if you have an injury there and it's not fixed, it's almost, it's very difficult to fix. However, we do this stuff all the time, put nerves back together. Yeah, remember back together. You, the patient who was cutting an avocado and the knife just sliced right through uh, her index finger. One of the most common and ones, so, guys. Don't ever cut an avocado. Just cut it in half, and then if you're going to scoop it out, use a spoon. Just trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, that one and the other one who broke a wine glass. A, yeah, that's a great remember story. Remember that one on the median nerve? And- so I got a phone call at about 2.30 in the morning um, taking call at Cedar sinai Medical Center from an ER doctor and said, Doc, I want to run something by you. I said, what do you want to run by me? said, there is a wine stem that's stuck in a lady's wrist. And I was asleep, okay? I wasn't wide awake. And I said, what do you mean? Send me a picture. So at this point, I see a picture of a wine, stu- wine glass stuck right, right where the median nerve is. And all of a sudden, I literally was like, I'll be there in one minute. Yeah. Literally got got out and didn't even have a chance to brush my teeth With or the anything. way he drives, it yeah, literally was it took one, one minute. minute. Yeah threw a piece of bubble gum in my mouth because I didn't want to stink. You know, this was pre-mask days. And I walked into the ER. There's this lovely author from Indiana for who wrote uh, children's books and was here on a of conference, course. tripped on a step, and the wine glass in her hand went flying and somehow literally impaled, impaled right her wrist. Central part of the wrist, just right And the where best it part the about hand. it was I looked at the ER doctor. I said, why don't you take this out? Because I was too scared to. So I ended up taking this, this lady back to the, to the operating room and I wish you were with me, but every tendon was cut. Now imagine if, if I take a strand of, you know, eight or let's say 10 pieces of spaghetti mm-hmm. and I don't label them and I just cut them in half and I say, put them back together exactly right because mm-hmm. these tendons you know when you take your hand and you flex your fingers those are the tendons that do it and these tendons specifically go to certain places yes. from a muscle belly we call so that you- a spaghetti wrist <laughs> and mm-hmm. and literally took about i don't know i want to say maybe a couple hours and put it all back together mm-hmm. by the grace of uh, god it came out great, and I still and I still get uh, uh, autographed books, children's books, and 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 she has complete function back. But those are the things that you know we do that get us to where we are now. Pretty yeah, much. yeah. I'm trying to think of the other thing that's really common in the hands is a boxer's fracture. You know, right. someone punches something, or you decide you're gonna. You'll show them, not hit them, but you hit the wall, and you'll hit a stud in the wall. And next thing you know, that that uh, the bone that's just under the pinky finger just uh, slowly crumples backward, and uh, you're no longer able to fully flex your fist. So you know we've taken care of multiple uh, boxers fractures in that way. And it's funny because when you go into an ER and you're you're wearing your coat and it says plastic surgery, and they're like, "You're going to take care of my hand?" Yes. 
We're going to take care of your hand. Yeah. Um, we don't do a ton of it anymore, but we can if we, if necessary. Last thing, uh, you know, we talk about ganglion cysts, those little things that people used to just take a big book and try smashing them. Mm-hmm. Obviously it doesn't work. Um, and the, we remove those. So just the other week, someone had a, a patient of mine that I was doing another, you know, a facelift on. She had a tiny little, what we thought was a ganglion cyst, got an x-ray to ensure there's no bony erosion, make sure there's not a cancer, um, and took out uh, a tiny little tumor, little giant cell tumor. It's benign, but, you know, can cause some issues and pain. Um, but these are also things that we can do. That's true. Uh, that, and that, do. that happens a lot where somebody comes in and, and is having, let's say, a breast augmentation or a tummy tuck. And they're like, oh, I've had this thing on my wrist for so long. Or, for example, I have this cyst on my back or I have this, you know, yes, we do all of those lumps and bumps. Um, and, you know, we can do them with no problem. And it's something that, you know, many times combined with a cosmetic procedure, it's easier because they're going to have the downtime. We take it out for them and they're good to go. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, we can work our way on to the next. And this, uh, honestly, you know, I say I'm working my way down, but this can be anywhere, uh, most commonly on the face, shoulders, uh, you know, but you can really have it anywhere on the body and that's skin cancer. And, you know, we think about the most common skin cancers, which are really basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, but also we think about melanoma, which is obviously much more complex. And this is where plastic surgeons are often involved. So, you know, dermatologists, sometimes they do the skin checks and they'll biopsy. um, And then a lot of times, depending on the location, they'll ask for a plastic surgeon to do the reconstruction because the goal is, listen, we can always cut stuff out. um, But if you can't make it look, you know, restore form, you know, because that's really what a plastic surgeon does. It's form and function. It's not just function form and function, which can become extremely difficult. And uh, so a lot of times I remember, you know, we were called by uh, a dermatologist that, you know, they do Mohs surgery. Mohs is, imagine it's called kind of a bread loafing type of thing where under a microscope, we take samples of the tumor and you take tiny little slices of it, look under the microscope until you no longer see a cancer cell. And it's supposed to be so you get the smallest defect possible Mm -hmm. um, and get all the cancer. However- A lot of times what happens is, you um, you know, those margins are really extended outside of what you would think. If you just took a regular biopsy, you think, oh man, all right, I'm just gonna take a few millimeters around uh, the area of concern. Sometimes you can still have cancer within it. And so that's why Mohs surgery was developed and it has the highest rate of a cure. However, I think to sometimes um, not necessarily hedge your bets, but you always take just a little bit more to ensure that you've got normal tissue. So by the time the defect comes to us, we're thinking, oh, wow, what are we going to do to reconstruct? This one he's talking about was was terrifying i'm not most of the time you can throw anything at us honestly Mm -hmm. we don't we don't worry we walked in and half this guy's face was gone and And he was like 25 years old it was under local anesthesia and And he goes goes, just fix this yeah yeah yeah. fix this "Mm, well might need a little more than that um you, you know so now we obviously know that um you know to expect the worst you know and then prepare for it that way, if something smaller shows up, then you say, oh my gosh, this is easy. But otherwise, you know, so that's where, 
even in the you know the one girl who had a cancer that was near the laugh line, that was a nice one. and we ended up having to do a combination of two different flaps. One we call nasolabial flap, and a, a you know a labiomental uh, flap that we kind of combined in order to fill that defect in. So it's really creative coming up with ways to restore form as well as function. And and again, some of these some of these skin cancer reconstruction procedures are staged as well. Sometimes you have to do two stages where you mm-hmm. bring a forehead flap and and again, and like I said about breast cancer, I'm going to say the same thing about skin cancer. We'll do another podcast. We'll bring our favorite dermatologist here with us. We'll mm-hmm. actually talk about how we can avoid skin cancer. This is more of just touching a little bit on on the surface and going from there, but you know, skin cancer is real. There are some really cool treatments that some of the superficial skin cancers we can treat without even cutting out these days um, and use um, immunotherapy in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but at the same time, my recommendation, get your skin checks with your, with your dermatologist. Make sure, because if you catch something really early, the extent of it is going to be a lot less and the amount of, of, of trauma to you is going to be a lot less. So the defect's going to be smaller. The reconstructive procedure is going to be much smaller. The problem is when you leave something for a long time, think it's nothing, and then it becomes a really big cancer that needs to be taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, and the other thing I would highly recommend for everybody who's listening, um, I would definitely see a plastic surgeon to reconstruct uh, Mo's defects. Sure. Because I think we are we are the ones that, that are taught you know, anyone can do anything and, and people, I know that, that there's podiatrists that do Botox, but I don't know how well a podiatrist knows the anatomy of the face. So mm-hmm. this is the same kind of stuff. And there are certain areas, you know, again, if you have a defect on the nose, it's not like you can, it's not a, a type of tissue that has uh, some elastic properties. And so um, you will distort if you just try simply closing it. You know, let's say it looks relatively small and you close it and it'll distort the cartilage underneath. So we kind of rotate things in certain areas of the body because we don't want those defects to occur. And they so, heal better. And, and and over time, most of the time with these reconstructive procedures, you really can't tell anything was done. Mm-hmm. And, and it's we not have plenty of pictures to show you if you ever want to see them. Yeah, it's not to say that there aren't, uh, you know, dermatopathologists and derma- dermatologists that are good at doing some of these, um, exactly. you know, reconstructions. But I think you should at least look for a second opinion. And a plastic surgeon will tell you, say, hey, look, that guy's good or that girl's good. Uh, you, you, know, uh, um, you know, stick with it and they've got a good plan. But it's Great. especially if it's your face. Hello, beautiful people. To celebrate the launch of Forever Young, we'd like to offer our listeners a special discount on our premium line of skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. Go to beverlyhillsmd.com and use the promo code foreveryoung20 to get 20% off your first order. That's beverlyhillsmd.com, promo code foreveryoung20. Please share, rate, and review on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be right back after this break. The last thing, and this is, you know, we had extensive training in this in residency, um, but I also think it's one of the most complex aspects of plastic surgery is burn surgery. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to see a lot unfortunate for those individuals involved, um, you know, and you see some of the craziest things happen. I mean, 
people, you know, with an oxygen tank or, you know, around their nose, trying to light up a cigarette. You see someone, you know, trying to smoke a cigarette while they're putting together a, a you know, a, a model plane with some airplane glue. Um, some people who, you know, have even slept next to a furnace, um, you know, because it was cold, but uh, they were diabetic, so they couldn't really feel it. So they couldn't feel their skin burning. Um, we have seen it all. Even those who are involved in, you know, motorcycle accidents that, you know, that road rash, we actually treat like a burn because you go fast enough on the concrete and that heats up pretty quickly. So, um, you know, we've had, at least for me, I, I did my pediatric burn at Cook County Hospital in Chicago and we would use ketamine to kind of put these people into a dissociative trance and then scrub down the burn so they wouldn't really feel it. Um, but this is one of those complex things that I know you uh, you have a, a ton of experience as well and you can comment on it. Yeah, the, you know, burn surgery again, or, or burns in general require another podcast as well, but we're, mm. we'll just again touch, touch the surface. And um, if it's an extensive burn, First and foremost, it needs to be taken care of at a burn center. Mm -hmm. um, you don't go to a regular hospital. Regular hospitals don't even know what they're doing. You want to know the truth? I mean, it's it's necessary because if you have an extensive burn that 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 is taking a significant amount of your your total body surface area, mm -hmm. um, you need people that have been dealing with this stuff and really know how to. The critical care aspect of taking care of a burn is as important as the actual cosmetic aspect. Now. When I say cosmetic, half the time, we're just trying to cover a wound so you don't have more sensible losses, mm -hmm. so we can actually catch up with all your losses. Um, because there's a, there's a lot of metabolic disturbances that occur with burns, mm -hmm. and that's some of the things that, that are very important, and people realize, okay, you you got burnt, you just cover it, you clean it, you cover it up with a skin graft, and you go on. But if it's big enough, it's really significant, and depending on if they're super young or super old. And, and, and again, that's what this kills is, you. That's that's ultimately what kills you. It's the metabolic processes that happen because of the burn. So if it's not managed right off the bat, you've got, you know, the Parkland formula where you give a certain amount of fluid right off the bat and, you know, calculate it over a, a certain period of time. You know, if it's not performed correctly, you can actually take a, you know, partial thickness burn and convert it into a full thickness burn and you've got a whole new ball game. Very important. And, and and again, we did train at a, at a burn center um, in in New York and saw the worst of the worst and took care of the worst of the worst. And 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 some of it, some of the most difficult aspects of, of dealing with a burn uh, victim is is the psychological aspect. And and that's a whole nother part that needs to be. Uh, so that's why burn centers are very important because they have all of this. They also have the occupational therapy and the rehabilitation because you know when you when you have burns. You fix them, and then unfortunately, in certain parts of our body, we get contractures. Um, that's especially if they're not tissue, treated properly. Yeah, that's where scar tissue takes over, and it will take, you know, a joint and completely make you. You imagine flexing your arm uh, forever uh, until that's released, and so tendons shorten. Uh, you know, you're unable to to lift your head. You can't close your eye. You can't open your mouth. You know, these are all things that can happen with extreme burn, scar, and contraction. It's actually perfect that you brought that up. We took care of a guy, really good guy, um, here in private practice, who 
his whole body was burned. Mm-hmm. He's lucky he, he survived. As he really kid. is. He's really, as a kid. And they skin grafted him. And for years, he didn't want to have anything done. And one of the other plastic surgeons down the hall called us and, they, and he was like, you guys are young and, and, and you are, are eager to, to, to change the world. So can you help me? Brought this guy to our office and we're like, we'll take it on. Nicest guy in the world, but couldn't raise his arms. Couldn't raise his arms and he couldn't lift his neck. And he couldn't shake a hand. And he couldn't shake a hand because his, his fingers and his hands were contracted. And mm. now what John just said a second ago was these wounds just tend to contract no matter what. Even if you stitch something up, it wants to contract down. But skin grafts, especially because they, they don't have much soft tissue and they don't have that thick dermis, they want to contract down even more. Now imagine if areas that were just so readily, you go to the grocery store and you want to go take a can off the shelf, you don't think about it, right? It's easy. It's no big deal. These are things that we just do without even just, it's second nature. Sure. This guy for the last 20 to 30 years could not take a can off the top shelf of a store. Couldn't look up to mm-hmm. greet someone and couldn't shake their hand. And so he was embarrassed. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most gratifying series of surgeries that we have ever done. Mm-hmm. And we operated on him a bunch of times. We mm-hmm. used a tissue expander to expand skin in one area and rotate it to another area. We did Z-plasties, which is basically lengthening areas to try to break up scar tissue so that area that's contracted is now longer. And I'll tell you, was it a 100% success? Could it have been better? Probably. But that's the thing with these types of reconstructive procedures. What we did for him was 100% success for him. But for perfectionists like like Dr. Lakey and I, we look back on it always and be like, oh man, I wish we would have done this a little bit differently. But no, it came out really good and he's the happiest guy in the world. I'll never forget. He came into the office, looked us in the eye, uh, you know, because he, he was unable to lift his head earlier, looked us in the eye, put his hand out, shook it, and then gave us both hugs. Something yeah. that he could, you know, he, he wasn't able to even do to his own daughter because he couldn't raise his arms to hug her. So it was kind of a low hug. And he said, you know, he was like, thank you, you've changed my life. And that, you know, is what makes this uh, Again, that's, such a these great are, profession. These are, you know, and, and, and some of those, like we talked about, Sometimes it's an accident that's out of your hands. Sometimes it's just something that you did and you didn't think about. But um, burns are very complicated. We will do one with uh, with hopefully somebody from the burn center. Mm-hmm. Where we can come in and really talk about everything um, and, and go from there. Yeah. You know, as a side note, I know that we'd already undergone facial reconstruction and craniofacial surgery and things like that. There was, a, you know, one thing that I want to kind of I wanted to put by itself because we're involved with a charity uh, that's known as Smile Train. And one of the most common reconstructive procedures that everyone knows is the cleft lip and palate. Um, really the cleft lip because it's so disfiguring and uh, there's such a social stigma associated with it. it. It's not even, you know, inability to eat correctly or to speak correctly. And so um, there are uh, you know, craniofacial centers. These are really cleft lip and palate centers that have craniofacial surgeons that perform these procedures. However, the most, you know, the highest percent of these are, you know, some indigenous areas, things like that, that don't have access to this type of treatment. So, you know, I'm proud to say, and I know you are as well, that we have essentially through our, our skincare line, Beverly Hills MD, that we have sponsored 
well over 11 or 1200 smiles. And so, you know, just to be able to, and, and, and we flew to Chiapas, Mexico. That was several years ago. We did get stopped up by a 8.1 earthquake, uh, but <laughs> yeah, you know, to meet the family of someone who had the repair and, uh, you know, to see the smile on that little, uh, that little boy, uh, you know, again, m- made such an impact on my life. And, and I know it did yours as well. And again, it, it, it's, these are the types of procedures where you completely change someone's life. Mm-hmm. Somebody who, who has, like, like John just said, I mean, it, it, a cleft palate has so many um, underlying problems that you can have for your life that if you don't fix it, um, it could really lead to a life of, of a, lot, a, a, a lot of setbacks in the sense, the way you talk and the way you're perceived and the, the jobs you can get and the things you can do. And, and it's really unfair. So if it can be fixed, now most people in the US have access to it, but people in other countries, um, I, I, know, I know people, for example, from, from Smile Train, uh, we saw a brilliant video of a, a kid that walked multiple days with his mm. family to get to this to this center. makeshift hospital center because they had surgeons from the US that flew in to help them. Um, and that's their only shot. They have no other shot. I mean, they don't have guys. They can, you know, we were lucky. We have the county hospital. Even if you don't have money, you can go to the county hospital and they will fix your cleft lip and palate. They'll put you with a program and they will take good, good care of you. This is not like that in places like India. A lot of places in Central America, South America. Um, and it's interesting. So, you know, one of these things, and I don't want to put in a plug, but give a couple bucks to Smile Train. They help yeah. out, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's, it's a great thing. And, and it's one of those very fascinating <clears throat> procedures, in my opinion, uh, because when we first started plastic surgery, there are so many different ways to fix a cleft, pal- mm-hmm. cleft lip. Yep, yep. And, uh, and you've realized it and you're like, there's some real geniuses in this field that came up with ways to hide the scar, to make it look as natural as possible, make it look as inconspicuous as possible. Um, and again, that that whole cleft lip, cleft palate then goes into cleft nose and there's there's it's a whole type of facial dysmorphia that needs to be fixed by multiple procedures in different times, starting at three months up all the way to 18 years of age um, when you do a formal rhinoplasty for people. And then we could talk about that at a, at a different time so I don't bore you right now. Yeah, listen, I know that this is a lot that we've thrown at you, but we really wanted to use this particular episode to kind of tell you that it's not all about cosmetics. Uh, we did train. It doesn't mean that we still do a lot of these but there are plastic and reconstructive surgeons that this is their entire practice. And so, you know, hopefully we've highlighted some of the things that can be done. If any of these, uh, you know, injuries or occurrences have happened to you or congenital anomalies, at least now you know who to turn to. And if you have any questions, obviously send it in to us and uh, we can refer you to the appropriate person. So, Absolutely. You, know, um, you know, really excited that you guys have spent this time with us. Um, again, this is uh, Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. I'm Dr. Payman Danielpour. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and listen, like, comment, uh, you know, give us a review. Let us know how we're doing because obviously we are trying to educate you and we want to know what you're interested in. So, uh, you know, definitely give us that feedback. Perfect. Peace. We'll see you next time. 
From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.